Well, good morning. I am Claire, and I'm so glad to be here and glad that you guys are here on a really rainy morning. We weren't sure who was going to show up, so um, good to see each of your faces. And I don't know how you guys are, but I really do not like to wait. I like (laughs) to be in the know. I like clarity. I don't like being left in the dark. And even when I was a child, I didn't like to wait. And so when I was a child, I would go in my mom's bedroom when she wasn't there, and I would go in quietly and stealthily and look for my Christmas gifts. And so I would look under her bed, I would look in her closet in all of the tucked away places that I could find, because I wanted to know what I was getting. I didn't want to wait the few weeks until Christmas Day. And for some of you, that might seem really weird. You love surprises, but I am not one of those people. (laughs) Um, And what I have realized is some of the greatest gifts I have received, though, are the unexpected gifts. And I received one of those gifts a year and a half ago, and the prime example of this was getting engaged to Adam. And we were up in Chicago. It was my last day of seminary, so I just had finished my final, and I was ready to work out, to blow off some steam. And so he arrived in exercise clothes with flowers in hand and a poem in hand. And I thought, hmm, things might not be going as I expected. Um, And we had talked about marriage for quite a while, um, but I wasn't expecting to get proposed to in the way that he did that day. So he planned a scavenger hunt, and it was clues that guided me to where we were going to go. So we went on a bike ride, we went to lunch, and then we went to Lake Michigan, and we were at a beach there, and I had to dig to find this clue, and then the clue told me I needed to face and turn towards the lake. And I was reading this poem about God's love for me and how Adam desired to love me in that way, and then I turned around, and he was on his knee with a ring and asked, will you marry me? And This wasn't what I had expected. It wasn't the timing I'd expected, but it was a good gift. And oftentimes, those gifts come to us. Here's a picture of us on our engagement day. As you can see, I was surprised. Um, (laughs) um, Anyways, the gifts that... (laughs) I'm back in that moment right now. I'm I'm coming back. Um... (laughs) Anyways, oftentimes we receive gifts in unexpected packages or unexpected ways. And the Jews had been waiting a long time for a Savior, but the way the Savior came, who he was, what he did, and how he died was not what they expected. And we find in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 2 that the long-awaited Savior is born. He is Jesus. And if you have been with us reading through the Old Testament the past eight months, 
you have probably been waiting for this moment too. Jesus is here. I know that I had been waiting, especially as we've been through the prophetic books the past few months where it seemed like the message was kind of gloom and doom and destruction. Um, There was glimmers of hope, but there wasn't a lot of good news filled in those books. But the passage we're in today is all about good news, the good news of Jesus coming. And Luke 2 provides us with that good news, and the angel declares that Jesus' birth is good news of great joy for all people. And before we get into the text this morning, I want us just to bow our heads and pray. I know that many of us have heard this story before, especially around Christmas time, and just I want to ask the Lord for us to hear it in a fresh way this morning. So let's pray. Lord, we are so thankful for the good news of Jesus. Lord, would you help us to have fresh eyes to see how he is good news, to have fresh ears to hear. Lord, would you guide my words? Lord, would you guide all who are hearing this? Lord, would you enable us to receive this good news, to rejoice, and to tell others. In Christ's name, amen. This message this morning is framed around Jesus being good news of great joy for all people. As we look at Luke 2, we will see Jesus' good news, Jesus' birth is for all people, and Jesus' birth brings great joy. The focal point of our text is that Jesus is good news. And as we walk through verses 1 through 20, we will see how Jesus is good news. Very rarely is there good news for all people. Most news is only good news for some people. If you get selected for a sports team or a performance, that is really good news for you but it's not good for those who weren't selected. If you get selected for a position you applied for, that's good for you, but not for the other people who applied for the position and got rejected. If you win a game, that is great news for you, but not for the other players. And as we hear about on the news, elections are good news for some, but not for everybody. But Jesus is good news for all people. And his birth came at a time when good news was really needed. If you were here last week, you heard Bill preach on Malachi. And he talked about the 400 years of silence between the Old Testament, the last book, Malachi, and Jesus' birth. And even though God was silent, he wasn't speaking through the prophets anymore, he was not passive. He was very active. God was guiding human history in preparation of Jesus' birth. And Paul comments on this in the book of Galatians. In Galatians 4.4, Paul says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman. Jesus, 100% God, 100% human, 
came at just the right time. There was the rise and fall of different rulers during these 400 years. And during those 400 years, the language and infrastructure was set up for the good news of Jesus to go forth into the known world. Persia fell to Greece, and Alexander the Great came to power in the 300 BCs. And what's significant about that is Greek became the common language. Koine Greek is what the New Testament is written in, and it's what everyone spoke at that time. And so it enabled the gospel of Jesus to be proclaimed to all different types of cultures, to both Jews and to Gentiles. And after Greece fell, Rome rose to power, and they conquered nations. And their conquests allowed them to build roads. And those roads led for the early missionaries to travel and to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Clearly, God was guiding human history for Jesus' coming. And Jesus is at the center of human history. Each time we open our calendar, whether it's on our phone or we see it on our computer the day that it is, we're reminded that Jesus is at the center of human history. January 1st marks the day that Jesus got his name. It was eight days after his birth where he received his name in the temple. And so every time we look at the calendar, we're reminded that Jesus is at the center of human history. And the gospel writer, Luke, is a historian. And so he grounds the story of Jesus' birth in the history of the known world. So when you look at verses 1 through 2, you read, Caesar Augustus is the emperor, and Quirinius is the governor. In the story of Jesus' birth, Luke contrasts Caesar Augustus and Jesus. They are different kinds of kings with different kinds of kingdoms. Listen to who Caesar Augustus was. He was given credit for 300 years of peace in the Roman Empire. This was known as the Pax Romana. He was recognized as the divine savior who brought peace to the world. He changed his name from Octavian to Augustus, which meant worthy of honor. This guy thought really highly of himself. And listen to this. He declared his adoptive father was divine, so therefore he was the son of God. N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, says, if you asked anybody in the Roman Empire, from Germany to Egypt, from Spain to Syria, who the son of God might be, the obvious answer, the politically correct answer, would have been Octavian. He had so much power, he could make people in his kingdom do whatever he wanted. And he maintained his prosperity through taxing conquered people, people like Mary and Joseph. And Mary and Joseph were engaged, and they were a young Jewish couple, and because they needed to register for taxes, they took a long journey, a 90-mile four-day journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And keep in mind, this is when 
Mary was pregnant with Jesus. So this would not have been a comfortable journey, and they did this in obedience to Caesar. They went to Bethlehem, referred to as the city of David, in verses 4 and 11, to register because Joseph was from the house and the lineage of David. So why is this connection to David so significant? Why is David's name mentioned multiple times in our text this morning? It's because Israel was longing for a king who was a descendant after David. David was one of the greatest kings of Israel. And God promised to David in 2 Samuel 7 that his family line would never end. And in the Old Testament and in Israel during Jesus' time, they expected a king who would come from David's line. Luke is saying the king that they have been waiting for for years has been born. He is Jesus. Jesus is who the Old Testament points towards and in whom God's promises are fulfilled. And since he is God in the flesh, his rule is universal and will never end. There is no other king in the history like him. King Jesus is nothing like Caesar Augustus. We heard that Augustus claimed to be the son of God, the savior who brought peace to the known world. Jesus is the son of God who does bring peace and brings peace between God and humankind. King Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. This is not true of Augustus. And the key historical figure in our text today is not Caesar. So you might be wondering why I spent so much time discovering who he was, but it's God. And Caesar really may have appeared to be sovereign by being able to direct Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem, but ultimately God is sovereign. And unbeknownst to Caesar, he was acting as an agent of God. His decree led Mary and Joseph to go to Bethlehem to give birth to Jesus. And that fulfilled the prophecy of Micah 5, 1 through 2, which said that a ruler over all of Israel would come from a tiny little Bethlehem. Jesus' birth is not what we would expect of the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Surely, Mary and Joseph, who were traveling, would have set up with their family and friends a place to give birth to Jesus. But the town was overcrowded because of the registration. So they had to move to Plan Z. They had a baby in a room with animals, with their smells, with their noises, with their mess. And we read in verse 7 that Mary swaddles Jesus and places him in an empty feeding trough, normally used for animals, likely a cow. This is not the birth we would have expected for a king. The first Christmas is so low-key that it could have been missed. But the first Christmas has cosmic implications. In Jesus is both heaven and earth, and heaven and earth respond to his birth. 
We have seen that Jesus' birth is good news, but good news for whom? Jesus' birth is for all people, and not just family and friends come to visit Jesus. We see in verses 8 through 20 that the shepherds are the one that receive the announcement of Jesus' birth first. And who are the shepherds? Well, the shepherds are not who the original audience would have picked to receive this news first. The shepherds were the poor. They were like people who were working the late night shift, earning minimum wage. They were the outcast. They were on the bottom of the scale of power and privilege. And no one liked them. They were considered criminals. God chose the lowly and humble to announce the good news of Jesus' birth because no one is too low for King Jesus. Luke is telling us King Jesus is for the lowly. He's for the humble. And we cannot be too low to get into Jesus' kingdom. The good news is that Jesus doesn't accept us into the kingdom based on our good deeds. He accepts us because of who he is and what he's done. For God, no one is too far gone for him to accept them into his kingdom. We can't be too low. Jesus is good news for all people who recognize they are not good enough on their own and never will be. Jesus is good news for those who recognize that they're not good enough, who recognize that they don't measure up, who recognize that on their own they can do nothing to receive acceptance through him. They recognize that they are in need of Jesus to save them. But Jesus is not good news if we see ourselves as good enough on our own. If we don't see ourselves as broken people in need of a Savior, then we have no need for Jesus. He isn't good news. But if we see ourselves as lowly like the shepherds, we are able to respond to Jesus with great joy. And the announcement that the shepherds receive is no normal birth announcement. It's not a pretty little blue card that they receive in the mail with a cute picture of baby Jesus on it with his date and his weight of, and all of that. And it's not a phone call. It's not a text message. It's not a Facebook announcement. They receive this announcement from an angel of God. Look with me at verses 8 through 9. It says, In the same region as Bethlehem, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled, and they were filled with great fear. Can you imagine an angel suddenly coming before you, and a bright, almost blinding light representing God's presence is before you? Their response was a really natural one. It was great fear. They were surprised. It was startling. It was unsettling to be in the very presence of God himself and to see one of the Lord's angels. 
Listen to what the angel said to the shepherds in verses 10 through 11. Fear not, for behold, I will bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The angel comforts them, saying, Do not fear, I bring you good news, good news of great joy for all people. And the good news is this, a Savior is born, who is Christ the Lord, he is born today. The titles Savior, Christ, and Lord help us understand why Jesus is good news. Jesus is the Savior. His name in Hebrew, Joshua, means Yahweh saves, the Lord saves. Jesus is the deliverer of God's people, and he delivers all who turn to him in faith. Christ the Lord further describes who the Savior is. Christ or Messiah means anointed one. And we read about who this anointed one is in the Old Testament. And it's applied to the person whom God promised to raise up as Israel's deliverer. So when the angel came and announced, the Savior is here, the Christ, the Lord, they were saying today is the day that God brings deliverance. Israel was expecting to be delivered in a military sense. And Jesus conquers the enemy, as we will see in the Gospels, but not the enemies that Israel was expecting. The Lord points to the incarnation. Jesus is the Lord. He fully embodies God. When we look at Jesus, we look at God himself. And the Lord also means sovereign authority. As we read through the Gospels, we will encounter Jesus' power. Jesus' power to multiply food, to make water into wine, to heal people, to raise people from the dead, to forgive their sins, and even to raise from death to life himself. As we read through the Gospels together, we will discover more fully how Jesus is Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The angel next tells the shepherds the sign that the Savior has been born, and we just sang about this this morning. Look at verse 12. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The sign is finding baby Jesus wrapped up in rags in a feeding trough. This is God's answer to what's wrong with the world. So how will the shepherds respond to the angel's message? They hear God's word spoken through the angels, and they respond in faith. When the angels left them, they say to one another in verse 15, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. They desired to see what God had made known to them. So they left the field, which was about two miles from in town, to go look for the sign. Verse 16 says, They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. 
the shepherds saw exactly what the angel promised. So they go tell others, and then they praise God. Verses 17 to 20 says, When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all they heard and seen as it had been told to them. Jesus' birth is for all people, and we see in the text multiple responses to Jesus' birth. And an appropriate response, a right response to Jesus' birth is being filled with great joy. Jesus' birth brings great joy. And joy can look different for us. We all have different personalities. Some of us are more reserved and quiet, and some of us are really expressive and loud, and we probably even see that on Sunday morning as we're singing next to one another. But what matters most is not our particular expression of joy, but the object of our joy. In the text this morning, we see that the object of joy is Jesus, and that joy overflows into praising God. The angels and the shepherds praise God because God's gracious intervention in bringing a Savior to earth. Hear what the multitude of angels said in verse 14 before the shepherds. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. The angels offer praise to God for bringing peace. Jesus brings reconciling peace. He restores our relationship with God. And this is good news for those who trust in him. This is good news of great joy for all people. The joy of the Lord the angels have is heard and shared by the shepherds. After the shepherds heard God's words spoken through the angels, responded in faith, and told others, they too praised God, and they had joy. Joy must be distinguished from our superficial happiness connected to our present circumstances. Marva Dawn, a Christian author, helps us out here. She says, true joy comes in an awareness of who God is and that all is well when we are God's. The shepherd's circumstances, which we already talked about, were not a reason for superficial happiness. They were the poor working the late night shift with minimum wage. They were not liked by others. They were the outcasts. But they had great joy because the Savior was born for them. Whatever our circumstances are, whether we are struggling in our singleness, we're struggling in our marriage, whether we feel hurt by others, whether we feel like an outcast, whether we're in a job that we do not like, whether we are unemployed or underemployed, whether or not we made the sports team we were wanting, Whatever circumstances are, we can find deep joy that comes in our relationship with God. Joy that doesn't depend on our circumstances. 
Joy that is found as we remember that all is well when we are God's. The shepherds found joy in God and tell others what they've heard about the child. They go tell Mary and Joseph in the crowds. The shepherds were the first evangelists in the Gospel of Luke. They spread the good news of Jesus because they found great joy in Jesus. What we enjoy shapes what we tell others about. And I was really reminded of this in community group this past week, our small groups here um, at Christ Community. And we were watching a video that compared our joy with Jesus with our joy for other things. And right before we sat down to watch the video and discuss it, I was just raving about my favorite Italian restaurant, which happens to be in Brookside, and I was telling people, it is so good. You have got to try this. It is so good. And, you know, I realized that I can so easily and energetically evangelize people about things that I enjoy, that I think are really good, and I want others to experience because they're really good. Whether that is food, that's a top one for me, I love to eat, or whether it's movies or books or blogs, I want to share it with other people because I don't want them to miss out. But my sense of enthusiasm to tell others the good news of Jesus can come and go. I wonder if any of you guys can relate to that too. One reason that my sense of enthusiasm to tell others about Jesus goes away is because I forget the depths of the good news of Jesus. I focus on other things. I praise other things. I find my sense of worth in other things. I lose my joy in Jesus. We cultivate joy as we set our mind not on all of the things that are around us, other people, or ourselves, but as we focus on Jesus. And we do that as we meditate on the gospel, on the words that are presented in there, who Jesus is, as we renew our minds and remember who God is and what he has done for us. We are created to worship God and to enjoy him above all else. And there's an early book um, that was for Christian instruction called The Western Catechism. And the first question in this book asks, what is the chief end of man? So in other words, what is the primary purpose of humankind? What's the purpose for living? And the answer to that is, to glorify God and enjoy him forever. We are created to worship God and enjoy him above all else. And when we do, we cannot help but tell others about Jesus when we have our joy in him. Since Jesus is good news for all people, we are to tell all people about Jesus. And you might be thinking, Claire, we live in Kansas City. There are churches everywhere. I mean, as we drive through Brookside on Wernal, I see like five churches. And I agree, but I read a startling statistic which really caused me 
to think differently. That there are people out there who don't know the good news of Jesus. And this statistic is from Christianity Today, um, and it was done in August, and it says, one out of five non-Christians in America do not know any Christians. That's pretty startling, one out of five. And to give us an idea of what this looks like, this is the population of the LA area, about 13.5 million people. And that's a lot of people. And all people who don't know Jesus are in need of hearing the good news. And, you know, we might make excuses of, you know, I don't know enough about the good news of Jesus, and so I can't tell others. Or surely this person of another religion or cultural background or family member or friend who I've been telling, they don't want to hear this. But non-Christians are all around us. And if we really believe that Jesus is good news, then we believe that all people need to receive that good news. And God has chosen each one of us, not angels, to be messengers of good news to all people. And so a few questions for us. Are you developing relationships with non-Christians? Are you praying for those who are non-Christians who are around you? Your neighbors, in your workplace, your classmates? Are you verbally telling them the good news as God presents the opportunity? Telling others the good news of Jesus is a part of our calling as Christians. It's a part of who we are created to be. The shepherd's message about Jesus led to some different responses. And as we think about telling our friends and those who we get to know about Jesus, we're not responsible for their responses, but we are responsible for telling them. And there are two different responses that we see in the text. One is the crowds, and one is Mary. And the crowds received the news. It was circulating. It was a buzz around tiny little Bethlehem. It was like they received a Snapchat or a text message, and they were surprised by the news, but then they moved on from it. They didn't really think about it anymore. But Mary received the news, and we read that she treasured it. She found joy in it. She reflected on it in a way that others did not. And Mary's response is the right response. We are to contemplate on who Jesus is. We are to meditate on him. We are to try to make sense of what it means that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Lord, that he is the Savior. And we are given the opportunity to ponder who Jesus is as we read through the Gospels together. We are doing something called Open Here, um, which... John made some reference to, and we are reading as a church one chapter of the Bible a day, and we're starting in Luke today. So we invite you to join us to start reading through the Gospel of Luke with us and then the Gospel of John. And as you do that, whether you've read it or not, slow down, meditate, take a look at who Jesus is, 
Discover who he is. Discover who he is through his deeds, through his words. Take a fresh look. And as we reflect on who Jesus is, I believe that we will find great joy in him. Joy that will overflow into praising God and telling others. Jesus is good news of great joy for all people. And as we, pray, as we prepare for communion, we remember that it is through Jesus' death on the cross that he saves us. We celebrate communion here most weeks at the Brookside campus as a tangible reminder of the good news of our gospel, that Jesus is the one who forgives our sins. In communion, we get to see and taste and touch the good news. We get to slow down and reflect on who Jesus is, our Savior. We get to praise God for what he has done through Jesus, through our prayers and our songs. A few instructions for communion. You don't have to be a member to participate in communion of Christ's community. All who have trusted in Christ are welcome to the table. But you don't have to come. You are welcome to sit and reflect and pray. And when you do come, gather in small groups, take the bread and dip it in the cup and partake together. There are four communion stations, two in the front, two in the back, and this one in the back is gluten-free. And you can exit through the side aisles and come through the center aisles and take your time. Don't feel rushed. This is a time for reflecting on the good news of Jesus. At Jesus' last meal, he took the bread. And after blessing it, he broke it. And gave it to the disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. And he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is the blood of the covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sins. Come now to the Lord's table.